George, as a guardian, if I could, so I, I remember, I remember a point in time where I knew something just wasn't right. And what got me to become an advocate, I guess, what, what, and I know that point in time, but I want to hear from you. What was your specific point in time? Or was it just kind of a buildup of everything that said, Hey, wait a minute, folks, they have no voice. I need to be their advocate. Because being a guardian and being an advocate are two, I believe, are two vastly different things. Yeah, good point. In, in my case, most of Joanna's life, I was uh, a guardian or working with my mother, who was, you know, the official one and all of the guardianship stuff. Joanna had. Uh, major scoliosis operation in 1988, right? And because of that, and her post-operative care in the clinical unit at Fernald, I was going to the hospital every day of the week because uh, Joanna was bedridden, uh, during the uh, post-operative care in a, in a body cast and other things. And what I noticed was that every time the nurses left Joanna's bedroom, they would walk out into the hallway and slam their books on the table or the counter where, where they were congregating in the hallway. We see it in, in the arrangement of uh, all of our hospitals. We, we know exactly what we're talking about when we're visiting someone or we're in the hospital. There's a core area where the nurses all congregate, compare their notes and look at things. Well, anyway, these girls would go out and they would slam their things on the table and say, damn it, I'm going to join the Fernal League when I retire. So I went periodically asking my mother, what is the Fernal League? And she says, oh, it's a group of parents that are advocating for things at Fernal. They're involved with a lot of things. I have no time for any of that stuff. Uh, but when they're fundraising, um, I send them 25 bucks a year or something. They were an advocacy group there. Okay, my dad dies somewhere in this in this sequence from uh, another major illness that kept kept us going as a family. And I said, "Well, I've got to find out what this Fernal League is all about." And uh, so I'm going to go and look into it. My mother says, well, you know, it's a bunch of women. They're all together. Don't get involved. It's probably got a click involved uh, in it. So be careful. Okay. So I went to a couple meetings and I'm sitting down in the back of the room. They think I'm a spy from the <laughs> Department of Mental Retardation. Where did he come from? Who is he? What's he doing? 
then the gentleman who was editor of their uh, monthly newsletter could no longer get it printed on the on the quiet. Uh, and he said that we need to have this thing published. We have to we have to spend the money for printing once a month. I can't get it done somewhere within his domain. And I looked at it and said, this is very similar to me going out for bids to buy structural steel for a project I'm working on. I got a scope of work. I've got a number of copies that have to be made. They have to be tri-folded and a couple other things. And there are things that are not in the contract. This exactly looks like a structural steel specifications that I'm working on as an engineer. So I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Stranger down in the back of the room says, I said, yeah, I, I will write a, a specifications. Um, we'll pick out three printing air companies in the area and we'll ask them for a competitive bid. How much money is it gonna cost every month to print whatever number of copies we need, try fold them and so on and so forth uh, and print them and give them back to us. It looked like buying structural steel. So that was all well and good, that worked. They were all happy. Who is he anyway? Okay. Then they come along and they said, well, we got to fill the board in for the next year because their managing board was, oh, let's say a dozen people, six were nominated every other year to be on the board so that they had a, a, a rotating board of directors for the organization. But we need a nominating committee and we needed somebody off the present board, somebody from the general membership and some third category. So I go and say, somebody from the general membership of the organization, I can do that. So now I'm on the nominating committee. This is three or four months after I was down the back of the room. So I went to the nominating committee and the secretary at the time is making phone calls to people. And all the calls were basically, uh, Fred, we need a president for the organization this coming year. Uh, Ed's not gonna do it. Would you like to be president? The obvious answer was no. That's well, right. Fred, will you stay on the board for another two years? Yes, I will stay on the board for another two years. I don't want to be present. Okay, she's got a board member of one of the six she needs. Mary, Ed doesn't want to be president. Would you like to be president? Well, if you don't want to be president, would you agree to stay on the board for another two years? Yes, okay. So they go through this, 
got everybody on the board and we haven't picked a president. So the dummy that used to be in the service and knows better <laughs> says, well, you know, this is, this is ridiculous, but the president right now uh, asked me to consider being president of the organization. I said, but that's ridiculous because I've been only coming to your meetings for about five or six months. I, that, I, don't, I don't even fully understand what you do. One of the ladies that was sitting on this nominating committee looks at me and says, George, Ed asked you to be the president? I said, yeah, that's stupid. She said, no. She stood up, she shook my hand and said, congratulations, Mr. President. This <laughs> meeting is adjourned, turned around and walked out of the room. And I tell this story with the understanding that at that point in time, there was no way she was going to spell my last name for a million dollars. She knew nothing about me. And she said, oh, okay, this meeting is adjourned and walked out the door. So that's what got me stuck into the deeper field of advocacy versus being a member of the family, right? watching a, a family member. It's amazing. Long answer to a short question. That's, no, that, I, I, I love that story. I've never heard that story before, but, and I'm glad you told it because it's, you know, for 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 our listeners that that don't or I'm, a lot of people are 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 joining boards and 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 things like that. I've been on several boards myself over the years of different causes and different organizations. I can honestly tell you that you know we had one group that if you missed a meeting, we nominated you president for next year, and that was your punishment for missing the meeting or something like that. And that's how we got some of our presidents and and so forth. But I can tell you real quick, my story was I was about 18 or 19 years old, and I went to my first ISP meeting. And for those that don't know what ISP is, it's Individual Service Plan Meeting, which for everybody that is under the care today now of the Department of Developmental Services, the law requires that they have an ISP, which is, as I said, the Individual Service Plan. So I'm sitting there and of course, everybody signs in. My dad is at the table. My father says, why don't you come up and sit with me at the front at the table? My brother is there uh, and different representatives from all the different like occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, things along those lines are all there. And I want to say that the facility director might've been there also, but I'm not, I'm not positive about that. Nursing was there, et cetera. So they're going through Christopher's, ISP. And there's, you know, there's certain parts of an ISP, George, and you know, you know, all of that, and everybody writes up reports, and there's a goals that the individual needs to meet during the year. So it's active treatment and all that type of stuff. And I'm listening. And I hear most of them saying, Christopher told us that he wants X, 
or Christopher said that he was not comfortable with why or whatever it was. And so I'm listening to this whole thing and my dad's making notes. He's asking a few questions here and there. And I, I can see him kind of looking over at me occasionally. You know, I think he was probably just making sure I was still awake or something like that because I was 18 and 19. I could only care about myself at that point. And something hit me and it, it's like that point. It's that I call it the aha moment. And I said, and so I raised my hand and I said, am I, is it all right if I ask a question? Oh, absolutely. Please, David, please ask a question. You're part of the team. And my mom was there, but she's sitting in the, she's sitting kind of in the back of the room. And I asked the question, everybody's talking about Christopher said this, Christopher said that, Christopher doesn't like this, Christopher doesn't like that. I said, I just have one question. I'm very curious. Because as far as I know, when did Christopher learn how to talk? Because my brother had maybe, for lack of a better description, broken English, maybe 12 words. Mm -hmm. And the room was dead silent. And the only thing I heard, and my father, who looks over at me, has got this enormous grin on his face. It's like, finally, my kid finally gets something, you know? And all we hear from the silence is this enormous sigh from my mother and under her breath, and she never even realized she said it, oh, oh God, another one, meaning somebody like my father. The entire group that was at that table, George, was speechless. They didn't know how to answer the question. And needless to say, it was pretty awkward for the remaining 15 or 20 minutes that was left. And my answer was, my, my question was never answered, but that was sort of my moment where I'm thinking to myself, something isn't right about this. And, and, that's, and that really was when my whole kind of, I'll call it my advocacy life started. And I became, unlike yourself, I became a guardian of my brother later in life because my parents were his guardian my mom as i said my mom got sick um oh. and then she got sick again and then my dad said well you look i've got to start planning ahead uh you know we're getting older i want you as his guardian you know you can be co-guarding with he and i uh, with him with my dad and that's kind of how it went and but that was really where my point started um as, as the advocacy. And then I started going to the meetings of the parents group that was part of the part of the group. And then we did the statewide parents group where all the facility people would get together, et cetera. And I learned a lot and, and I'm glad I did. Uh, and I'm, I'm still doing it as best as I can today, time permitting. Uh, David, we were probably um, pretty close in, well, not in age because there's a big difference between you and I, but about the same time. Because right. I mentioned earlier, my dad uh, died in uh, uh, 88 while Joanna was having her operation. And uh, that's when I got involved with wanting to get in involved. I know my certificate, I have to look at this, uh, that I became the president of the Fernal League in 89. 
and it was shortly after that that I was more involved with the advocacy as, as it goes with it. So I'm attending a couple meetings trying to play president of the Fernal League, this family group. And one of the divisions of it was a group that were called the building representatives where uh, several of the other parents, the, the parents uh, were representative for their particular building, looking over things above and beyond their child and were reporting once a month to the facility director saying, look, we found all these mistakes. The facility director would say, thank you. He'd come back next month and he'd say, I fixed them all and let's go on to what have you got today? And most of the meeting, the parents were saying, no, you didn't fix it. I read your report two days ago. I went to the, I went to the building, I went through the area and I didn't find this stuff. And it was Battle Royal. And I remember one in particular, uh, there was a mother there that in about late October says, to the facility director, you got to start telling the staff that it's getting to be cold now. It's time to pull out the winter blankets for the beds for all of the people living in this particular building that she was the representative for. And, uh, you know, it's late October. Okay. So the next month they come back. And not so much the, the next month, but a couple of weeks later, she goes through the building uh, looking around and maybe to visit her daughter. And the staff is saying, uh, 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 Doris, and I'm sure they were using the last name, but I'm forgetting Doris's last name. Uh, we got out the blanket and here's the blanket we have on your daughter's bed over here. And uh, the mother was saying, fine. And she walked around the other half a dozen beds that were in the bedroom and turned them all over to find out no blanket. <laughs> and the staff is like, oh my God, who thought she was going to walk around and right. look at the other beds? So she went to the meeting and said, Peter, when I said, get out all the blankets because it's October, I meant the entire bedroom. I didn't mean my daughter's bed. What are you doing to the other guys? Right. You know, so we'll fix that. We'll take care of it. I'm sorry and so forth. And I realized that advocacy meant that you were looking for the other people in the ranges to where you could see it. Yep. This mother was looking at had made a comment about beds. She was looking around all of the beds in the particular building where her daughter was, uh, building an apartment, whatever you want to use for a name. And other people were usually concentrating on different things, but you saw this idea that you had to look around and that's when I kind of really saw the difference of watching Joanna's ISP versus the other one. And 
for a side leg not to beat this one to death, but it's getting back again to the Fertile League and making me president. I realized as I, as I was talking that the elderly parents I was dealing with could not keep up with the fast nomenclature and speech of the, of the administration who were basically trying to snow the parents. So acronyms, uh, I, I never use them. I try not to use them. Uh, I, I will go to a meeting and I will keep talking about individual support plans rather than ISPs. And I remember going to a meeting with the department in which a lawyer asked one of the commissioners, what is the meaning of HIPAA? And the commissioner said, what do you want? He said, well, what does that acronym stand for? And the commissioner said, Oh, I really don't know. It's the it's the it's the uh, decision that allows us to regulate uh, privacy for the various uh, uh, residents at the facility. But I don't remember what HIPAA is the acronym for. I'm saying, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's exactly what the parents are talking about. Right. You don't know the basics. Exactly. Um, so that's a little sidelight. I don't know where I twisted that story, but that was the understanding of the difference in the expanded role I was now having as an advocate for all of the people that I was dealing with through their family members being on this advocacy board uh, for all of the people that lived at Fernald, which I'll expand for one more second. No, I please think, do, yes. I think you would agree that what this thing showed at a place like Fernald and you saw it at Hogan, that because this was one intermediate care facility taking care of a lot of people, the parents through these family groups were able to communicate with each other and they were meeting periodically uh, for a board once a month for these building representatives, a different day of the month, but once a month or something, uh, and they knew each other. So they became a force that were running this place. And I quickly realized that when Joanna moved to Linfield, there were no other families right. working with me and it was you against the whole system because it wasn't this big cluster of, of, uh, of families. Now, in my case, it's slightly different. There was a little bit uh, because I had a unique situation in Linfield, 
but I realized that what all the other people were complaining about, especially with uh, uh, BOR, that in our day was voice of the retarded. I think they might try to say they're the voice of reason now so people won't get mad, but they're sticking to their acronym BOR. Uh, out of group homes, they had no support of other families because they never met them. Right. Right. And that was, and that, you know, really when you think about it, George, from a, from a strategic point of view, the group homes were something that really, it was a divide and conquer type of idea. Well, and they would, and they would divide it. Whereas yes. Trying right. to divide Fernal, but they couldn't because you had 20 family members from different buildings around the property. Exactly. Uh, advocating together and saying no this is the whole thing uh, i didn't tell you to put a blanket on my daughter's bed i told you it's october you got to be rolling out all the blankets right for all for all of the residents that live here and uh, you know it's it's funny you say that it's funny you say how how when advocacy was obviously from your perspective advocacy was was for joanna because she's was the primary person in your life the most important person in your life but you also re you also recognize that it's not just joanna but it's when she was in linfield her housemates or when she was in Fernald, the people that lived in the same apartment that she did and actually the entire campus and i can remember my dad saying to me that if you are going to do advocacy and you want to be involved in this, and this was some years later after the ISP incident, when I, you know, when I, I was at a different point in my life and I was ready to do what I, more than what I was doing. He said, you're not just doing this for your brother, Christopher, you're doing right. it for every single individual in our case, in the state of Massachusetts. And he said, and, and, the national stuff hadn't really hit yet and it was starting up. And right. I can remember when we, when my dad and I went down to Washington DC for the first time, he said, now our advocacy has gone to the next level. Right. It's, it's not just local. It's not just Hogan. It's not just Massachusetts. It's now every one of the other, other 50 of the other 49 States in the country, because all of those parents and all of those guardians and caregivers and, and brothers and sisters are all facing the same problems. And we know that because we all sat and talked with each other and, and, and talked all our problems out in groups of, at the early days was like, you know, sometimes I remember one year we went down there and there were close to 150 people down there, all representative of all 50 states. And they were bringing the words from everybody else from within their organization. So there were tr a tremendous number of people that were involved. Um, and I think we made a great dent. Uh, we did. And, uh, but that's kind of like where the system uh, evolved from. Um, because prior to that, I was watching Joanna and as I said, I had control of all of her money. And I was not as active in the day-to-day -day care as my mother was, um, but somehow I let it slide till 98, but I got really aggressive at that point. Right. And that carried through quite a few years later. 
And one last thing for our listeners, just so that they understand. And I know George had mentioned while I was in, I was in charge of her money and so forth, as my dad was in charge of my brother's money. Believe me when I tell you, it wasn't much. I think it was what seven hundred dollars, maybe a month, and they were allowed and they were allowed to keep in their own bank accounts. Was what was it like? I was handling about three hundred or so. It yeah. Went up when Joanna moved to a community residence. But it certainly wasn't much. But I, I would tell you that in the very beginning, um, as as my mother was becoming this uh, co-guardian, she probably told him that uh, you know running the money for for Joanna was fine. She didn't want to bother with Social Security and all that stuff until she saw the first report that Joanna had bought some grass seed for the lawn in the front of the building where she lived. <laughs> yes. And my mother said, no, 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 you're not buying grass seed for the, for the front of the building with her money. No, no, I'm taking the money. I'm controlling the money. That's why George is going to do it all. No, no, he's going to be the rep payee. He's going to do it. And so I ended up getting uh, her social security as a dependent child because her father had passed. Um, and her mother had also by that time. Right, right. Uh, her father got her a veteran's uh, pension, again, dependent child, and that money was put in. And uh, because it was so low, she got a certain amount of money from uh, SSI, the uh, Social Security uh, individual program which was something like about 75 to $80 at Fernald and was went up to a couple hundred when she moved to Linfield. Right, right. And I remember that the veteran said, we had a very conscientious person. He said, I tell you what, I'm going to lock her pension as the minimum I can give her with no Kohler involved, because I know the Kohler from Social Security will be larger than the Veterans Administration. And neither one of them are great, but Social Security is better than the Veterans. So I won't give her, a, I, I won't sign her up for Kohler on her account, and she'll be getting more money the other way. Yeah. And, and goes with that. Right. And, uh, but all in all, George, it was not a lot of money. <laughs> oh, no, it was, yeah, it really it was wasn't. I mean, it was money, but you had to realize in the care of that money that the intent of it was for her care, exactly right. For my care as the representative payee, it was for her personal, and I know that they are. Um, kind of guessing that your mother had the same attitude as the other mothers. Uh, if I'm buying something small for my two or three or four children, why do I have to isolate my mentally retarded person? Because I've got to keep track of bills for the program. Right. 
Right, I exactly. used to go through and tell uh, the, uh, the two surviving aunts that they could not buy anything for their needs. They had to give me the receipt. Uh, whatever you were doing, you, you could not buy out of your own love and so forth for your niece. You gotta, you gotta give it to me so I can do my bookkeeping. Right, right. I remember uh, that growing up as a kid. I yeah. Remember the lawyer who was telling this to my mother in the beginning, and he said to her, "I, Stella, I know that if this girl was penniless, you would buy everything for Joanna. There is no doubt in my mind." Right. She would have everything she needed, even if she was penniless. However, in this situation, you have to spend her social security money and you have to keep track of it. And if you don't, the president of the United States and the governor of Massachusetts <laughs> will both say thank you as they take back their money. Yes. Yep. Let them have their money from Social Security and uh, the uh, social income of SSI just because it's there. So to use it, you got to do this bookkeeping. So either you do the bookkeeping or the governor and the president will say thank you for not using our money. Exactly. exactly. And, and that, that was one of the key arguments as to uh, what goes on in their care. So I used to look at it as I was doing this work and as I got deeper involved. If Joanna was equally as uh, competent as I was, and maybe spinning off of other families, Maybe one year Christmas would be at my house and I would have all of the family expenses of Christmas here, but probably Thanksgiving would be at her house and she would pick up the bill. And maybe there's a third person that would have picked up uh, Easter or the 4th of July. So it all would have come out the same. But in this situation, it looks as though I'm paying for everything. So maybe in order to spend down this money and Joanna doesn't know what I'm spending down, I'm going to back, her, back charge her for the expense of uh, be going to pick her up at Fernal and bringing her to my house and taking her back again right. in the afternoon and so forth because she's not picking up the other holidays, et cetera. So I used to keep track of all those things and itemize them. And I've still got all the paperwork. I think I have 95% of all of the receipts since 1966. <laughs> File cabinet over there. That's funny, I like that. You're just like my dad, He he kept, and my dad was my dad was an accountant uh, professionally, and I can remember, you know, he ran 
he ran WHDH as vice president of and treasurer. Um, he was also uh, the administrator of, of two or three law firms in Boston. And when it came to balancing a checkbook, my father would just look at me and, 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 and my mother would take care of it for us. But you're right. And he kept receipts. And I swear he would make a copy of every receipt, too. That was the lawyer. That was kind of like being in the legal industry. Not only do we have the copy, but we have to have a copy to back up the copy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it was a lot of work for very little money. And this was long before there was anything called QuickBooks or Excel spreadsheets or anything like that. Or even, even the uh, PCs or Apple Mac. Exactly. Mac, exactly. The spreadsheets thereof. Uh, it's Joanna died in January of 2013. When can I throw all this stuff away? <laughs> I can't throw it away because it's kind of like my only tie with her. Right, right. And it's like throwing her out of the family. I can't do it. Maybe because she's the last of other members of the family. But I can't empty that file cabinet. Hey, listen, George, I still believe me, I still have a, a lot of my a lot of my dad's paperwork that all revolved around around Hogan and advocacy and, and it's, it's yeah. in storage, but you know, I, I don't, I'm the same as you. I don't want to throw it away. It, it's, there's something emotional about it. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't get thrown away that easily. Exactly. So uh, that's some of the areas. Yeah, you know, no, that, 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 this has been, you know, George, obviously this has been some amazing, some amazing stories and and you know as as we were talking you know different things popped into my head different things popped into your head so you know i'm 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 really excited to move on to our next to our next subject